0: Hey folks, Andy Patton here recording on Easter afternoon, happy to those of you who celebrate, talking more about the transfer portal and answering some fun questions here for Mailbag Monday right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I also want to thank all of you who continue to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day and those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube, fastest, fastest fastest-growing YouTube channel in the Locked On Podcast Network. I really, really appreciate those of you who have checked it out there. Trying to get 2,000 subscribers before the start of the next basketball season. We are well on our way to doing so. So please go to Locked On Zags YouTube channel and hit that subscribe button if you have not already. Today is Mailbag Monday. For those of you who have not gotten involved in Mailbag Monday and would like a reminder on how to do so, it is very simple. You can just tweet at me at ScoreZagScore or at LockedOnZags whenever you are thinking of a question. Helps if you tag at Mailbag Monday, particularly if you are not sending me the question on Sunday afternoon, uh, because then I will maybe miss it. Uh, But obviously, you can also respond to my tweet, which I post every Sunday morning. Soliciting questions if you respond to that. You're very, very, very guaranteed to get your question answered on the show. Uh, You can also email me at andypatton 13 at gmail.com. A lot of people use that to ask multiple questions. Uh, It's a great way to start a conversation with me as well, so you can reach out that way. However you want to get your questions in, today we're talking mostly transfer portal type questions as we wait to see what this roster is going to look like. Heading into next season, this first question comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, what are the chances... Basir Bolton returns, and he says, my guess is about 15%. So I think it's a little higher than that, uh, to be honest. I think that's probably what I would have guessed initially, somewhere in the 10 to 15% range uh, after the season. There's some rumblings that it's a little bit more likely he may return uh, because he has that extra year of eligibility. We know that he loves the city of Spokane. He has gotten very, very involved with the homeless community in the town and helping people out. Uh, It's been a really wonderful sight to see uh, somebody who's only been in the program for a small amount of time kind of. Go out of his way to be an impactful part of the community. Uh, I I would still guess that it's pretty unlikely he returns. I think he's more likely to to move on uh, to to the professional ranks. I don't think he's going to transfer and go anywhere else. I think he's going to uh, continue his career professionally somewhere else. Uh, but I would be more in the in the thirty to thirty five percent range of him potentially coming back. Uh, but again, it's at this point it's really we haven't heard anything specifically to to indicate under what, otherwise at this point. Next question comes from John via Gmail. John says, let's say for a moment that Timmy and Bolton come back. That would leave only one spot open for debate as to who might start, assuming Strother, Dom, and the two freshmen come back. Do you think Watson would start at the four or do you think someone like Amac or Efton Reed or another good rim protector would start at the four position and Watson would come off the bench to play high quality minutes as he did this past season? Yeah, if, if Drew Timmy comes back, I think, the Zags, I think the Zags are adding a big regardless. I think uh, I'm less inclined to believe Drew Timmy is coming back. I know there have been some rumblings that he may be uh, closer to actually returning than we think. Uh, I was up in the 80-85% range uh, thinking that he's unlikely to return. I, I still think it's more likely than not that he is Pursuing other opportunities, and he's not going into the transfer portal, although that was a, a rumored thing uh, going around the internet at one point. I think at this point he's probably maybe 30% coming back, 70% going to the professional route. Uh, but regardless, I think the Zags are adding a big. Whether it's Fardaz AMAC, who has been my preferred choice for a while, whether it's Johnny Broom, whether it's Efton Reed, there's Kenneth Lofton, a handful of other options uh, out there on the transfer portal, I think they're adding a big regardless. If Drew Timmy comes back, they'll add a big. Who can fit alongside Drew Timmy? Amac Broom. Any of those guys would would fit in that regard. Broom would be a little bit more unique of a fit because he's not an outside shooter. I still think that he would start alongside Drew Timmy. They would just not have a ton of perimeter shooting from their front court, which is fine. A lot of teams don't necessarily have that. Uh, Amac would be a little bit better of a fit in that regard. Uh, and, and yes, Anton Watson would come off the bench if Gonzaga if Drew Timmy returned. I think Gonzaga would still go out and find a high impact big. I think that the pickings might be a little bit slimmer because I think some of those guys might not want to come to Gonzaga if Drew Timmy's returning. Uh, but assuming they can still get a player like that, then I think Watson would come off the bench. If if obviously if Drew Timmy does not return, then they're definitely going to add to the front court, and I think that Watson is still going to start. I think they would add a player like Amac or Broom, and then Watson would start at the four, along with that player at the five, and then they would have their you know their glut of other options to be their backups, in Ben Gregg and Caden Perry and Braden Huff. So that's kind of where I'm at uh, with, with that situation uh, in the front court. Uh, obviously, Drew Timmy's decision is going to be a huge factor there. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, assuming that Hickman, Salas, Harris, and Strother all return, the transfer portal will be utilized for a big, right? I know you've addressed this before, but I like the idea of trusting the core. Your thoughts? So the Zags are pursuing a big and a guard. They've made it fairly clear that they are on the market for both. I can't imagine it's more than one of either of them, just because of the roster, the way it's currently constructed. It makes sense for them to be reaching out to as many people as possible because As you said in this question, we're assuming that these four players are coming back. There's no guarantee that all four of them are. I think that all four of them are, but there's no guarantee. They could transfer. They could declare for the NBA draft. There's lots of other options here that these guys could pursue. But if all four of them are coming back, I still think the Zags are going to get a guard and a big. Julian Strother is not a guard. He does not play the one or the two. He is a three. He is a wing. He is a small forward, whatever you want to call it. I know basketball is borderline position at this point, but Strother, most of his minutes on the court are alongside two other guards. So the Zags still need four guards. And right now they have three. They have Dominic Harris, they have Julian, or excuse me, they have Hunter Salas, and then they have Nolan Hickman. Those are the three guards. They're going to add a fourth guard. Now, obviously we talked about Rasir Bolton. If he comes back, that eliminates that need to add a fourth guard. Andrew Nembhard could in theory return. I think that's quite unlikely. But if one of those two guys were to come back, then that would kind of fix that problem. We're operating under the assumption that those two guys are not coming back, in which case Gonzaga needs to add another guard. They're in the top seven for Jermaine Kuznar. Jameer Young uh, from Charlotte is an option in the guard rotation as well. Nigel Pack, who we'll talk about in a second, is part of that conversation as well. So they're not just pursuing a big. We already kind of addressed why they're pursuing a big and how they're likely to pursue a big, regardless of what Drew Timmy uh, opts to do. But at this point, I think that they're pursuing one of each uh, for logical reasons. They have gaps on the roster that they want to fill. Next question, another one from Christian is kind of a follow up to that one. He says, Nigel Pack is on the top of many transfer prospect lists. Is Pack a good fit? The three point shooting is always a welcome addition, but how does that impact the rotation? Yeah, this is what the staff is this, is, this is what they need to figure out. Like these are the questions that they're always having. This is why in the past we haven't seen Gonzaga necessarily get all of the top ranked transfers, is because they're looking for more for fit than anything else. This is your, you know, it's a good. there's a reasonable chance that Gonzaga is looking for more of an Aaron Cook, Geno Crandall type than they are looking for like the top tier guards on the market. A, those players may not want to come to Gonzaga. I think that's a big factor is those guys are like, well, I don't want to go to a team that has two five star guards waiting to take over starting roles in the backcourt because I am i don't want to have to fight for that playing time. I don't want to go somewhere where I might reasonably come off the bench. These guys are looking for an opportunity, many of them, not everybody, but a lot of players are looking for the opportunity to go somewhere, be the absolute star on the best team that will take them and let them be a star. And Gonzaga's not promising that to guards. There's a chance, if Drew Timmy is out the door, out the door, that they can make that kind of promise to a frontcourt player, which is why Johnny Broom and Fardaz Amak— and even potentially Kenneth Lofton or Efton Reed. Like, that's why those guys have Gonzaga on their radar because they could come here and be the front court dude. Guards just aren't, it's not as likely that that's going to be a situation they find them in. Is Nigel Pack a good fit? Talent wise, absolutely. Skill set wise, absolutely. Chemistry wise, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't know anything about the kid. Um, Would he want to come to a school where he'd be competing with two guys who are likely going to be considered potential first-round picks in the 2023 NBA draft? I don't know. But if he doesn't come here, that's possibly a reason why. It's also, and we're going to talk about this in the second segment, a reason why some of those top-tier incoming freshmen are probably not choosing Gonzaga uh, because of that reality that they're going to be competing with some really good players for playing time. Next question comes from Miller Mike. One, two, three on Twitter. He says, Amoni Bates is in the transfer portal. Thoughts of him spending a year at GU before he's draft eligible. My thoughts are he'd have to buy into not being the guy, plus everything else that comes with the Gonzaga culture. So I don't think he'd go to Spokane. But if he's thinking NBA, GU does know how to develop talent. Yeah, Mike pretty much already took most of my talking points there. But Bates was not, he did not consider Gonzaga initially. It wasn't really on his list. I would be very surprised here. I don't know. Gonzaga might pick up the phone, give him a call. There's no reason not to do that. Uh, one of his most recent games was against them. That could work to their advantage uh, in some capacities, but I, I I don't see this being a fit. Uh, I think Bates is a talented player. I think there are programs out there that could get more out of him next season and help kind of turn him around after what was not a very good first season uh, at the collegiate level. Oregon's a school that makes a lot of sense to me. Michigan State, Michigan, those are programs that make some sense to me as well. Uh, for a guy like Bates but while he's obviously very talented and while Gonzaga does develop players well you'd be asking him to try to turn he, he wants to be out of the he wants to be in the NBA after this next season i don't blame him for wanting that I, Gonzaga i don't think is in a position to to give him that that amount of leeway and that amount of playing time for him to turn into that in, in one year i just that's not really how they operate and i don't really think that that that's a fit for him necessarily Next question, final one of this segment, comes from Pace and Space Jam on Twitter, who says, Assuming you wouldn't ruffle any feathers and chemistry would be fine, what's your best case scenario for transfers? Assume Timmy is gone and any transfer is available. There's a lot of caveats that we have to put into this conversation, and I have a really hard time ignoring chemistry and feather ruffling. Now... Having said that, I do not know enough about any of these guys on the transfer portals, like actual motivations and intentions and goals. And I can't speak to that. And I know that that's not what the question is asking me to do. But like that's this is why I trust the staff so much, because they have they have been overwhelmingly successful at this. They bring in players like Rasir Bolton, who maybe people have some questions about. he was at a bunch of high schools. This is now his third college. Eric McClellan, there was a ton of questions about him when he transferred to Gonzaga because he'd had some issues at his previous schools and had also been at a handful of universities. Those guys were awesome. They fit the role that they were asked to do perfectly. So this staff knows what they want. They know what role they want to put these guys in. They're not perfect. They've made some mistakes, but it's been a while since they really screwed one up. I mean, it's it's been a while. So I think I'm not going to give specific names here. I've already mentioned a handful of names that I like. I think if Drew Timmy is gone, you're looking for a high-level, rim-protecting big who can also stretch the floor a little bit. I think that's a good fit. For guards, I think the staff's going to you know, certainly know more than I do. But if they feel really confident about rolling into next season starting, Salas and Hickman, which I think that they do. I think that's the plan, and they're looking for more of that Crandall Cook-type guard. Uh, Preferably, I think, somebody who can really shoot it, uh, but also somebody who can handle the basketball. Dominic Harris is more of a combo guard. Hunter Salas is certainly a combo guard, so your only true point guard on the roster right now is Nolan Hickman. Now, we haven't seen a lot of Dom, so maybe he is more confident being the primary ball handler, but my guess is if they could find a like a, like a version of Aaron Cook or Gino Crandall, who's like a knockdown three-point shooter. Both those guys were good three-point shooters, but like a really, like that kind of player, I think would be a perfect fit. And then a rim-protecting starting big. If they can get each of those two things, be the transfer portal, I think we're going to feel very, very good heading into next season. All right, we've got more listener-submitted questions to answer in the second segment. We're talking about recruiting. We're talking about Gonzaga's current guards. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bilt Bar. This is the time of the year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right, thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best-tasting bars. Puffs are the first-ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy. they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. In fact, all Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. Most Bilt Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They have mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They are all delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to Bilt.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Bilt.com. All right, segment two, still any patents, still locked on Zag? still answering listener-submitted questions all episode long for Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from John via Gmail. John says, are you at all concerned about our recruiting success or lack thereof? Many teams have already signed up multiple players for 22 and 23, and we have one player so far from both of those classes. Are you surprised or disappointed that we have not seen Ben more successful? My gut feeling says something is different over the past year or so. Not sure what it is. Could be the uneven playing field with NIL or might be the loss of Tommy Lloyd. Those are the only two factors that have changed in the last year or so. Could you help shed some light here? Gonzaga has two five-star guard, five guards on the roster. They have two top 50 big men in their recruiting classes in Caden Perry and Ben Gregg. They have a very solid incomer in Braden Huff. Uh, they have key pieces like Julian Strother and Dominic Harris. I just think that they already have such a stacked class. And yes, yes, not all of those players have lived up to those expectations. I understand that. But it's hard. Not every class is going to be littered with five stars. Gonzaga did not have a five star until 2016 with Zach Collins. And he didn't get the five star label until the very end of the season. It's not like he had committed to Gonzaga as a five star prospect. The only players who have really done that... Really, really the only ones who have done that are Jalen Suggs, Chet Holmgren, and Hunter Salas. Now, Nolan Hickman obviously is a five-star recruit, and he did begin his career at Gonzaga, but that was after decommitting to Kentucky. This is not something that we should expect all of the time. Now, yes, it would be nice to see that momentum be carried a little bit more further, but frankly, I think that a lot of players don't want to come to a program where it, they look so set in what they have, and for Gonzaga, it was really hard to know how many players are going to stay, how many players are going to go. So when they're trying to recruit on the trail, like if, if they didn't feel like Hunter Salison and, and Nolan Hickman were going to leave, they kind of knew that they were going into next season with a starting backcourt. The front court was harder to predict, and yes, now it would be nice to have a high level front court player coming in, but they have Braden Huff, and he's pretty dang good. I just I don't think. That the few misses they've had, yeah, they missed out on Anthony Black. They missed out on Mookie Cook. Like they're they're missed out on Jared McLean. Like they're they're missing out on a few guys. But the, you miss out on guys every year, every single year. Guys go to Duke instead of coming to Gonzaga. They you know Arkansas is a bit of a unique one, but they go somewhere else instead of coming to Gonzaga. And I think the fact that Gonzaga has. Like, a a pretty set roster. We talked about it earlier in the show. Like, There's a reasonable chance that Gonzaga has three or four of their starters already pretty much cemented in place for next year. So high-level recruits, five-star caliber recruits, a lot of them don't want to go to a school where they're going to come off the bench. Gonzaga found two who did in Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas. Those guys came into this program willing to come off the bench and not be one-and-done type players. Not every five-star recruit is like that. And Gonzaga just may not be seeing the guys that they want. They may not be finding guys who are willing to play that role. And the few that they have found who they think, hey, that might work, they may have chose to go somewhere else. And that's okay. That happens. I'm very unconcerned about 2022, quite frankly. 2023. It would it would be nice to get another another name or two on that list. Dusty Stromer is a name who has been connected to Gonzaga. I know UCLA is kind of creeping up right now. If they miss out on him, that is going to be a bummer. Uh, but I, I'm just I'm I'm not worried about it yet. I think Gonzaga has such a talented roster already. Uh, the transfer portal is something that that helps them fill in the gaps easier than recruiting freshmen does. Uh, as for the NIL stuff, I think it's way too early to to assume that that has any impact. Gonzaga also had one of the highest paid basketball players in the entire country last year in Drew Timmy. So they have not proven in any capacity that they cannot be a landing spot for a player who wants to make a lot of money while in college. And the Tommy Lloyd thing, a lot of people like to point to that. And certainly his success at Arizona, I think, can make people look inward and be a little concerned. But Tommy Lloyd was the international recruiter. Gonzaga's not recruiting internationally. The five stars that they've got in the past, were most of them were recruited by coach Brian Michelson, who's still at Gonzaga. So no, I don't think Tommy Lloyd leaving has had a significant impact. I'm not going to say it hasn't had an impact. Tommy Lloyd is a great coach. He was a great coach at Gonzaga for a very long time. But I don't think that a, a handful of 2022 and 2023 players saying no to Gonzaga has anything to do with Tommy Lloyd, quite frankly. Uh, or, or that it has a lot to do with NIL. I could be wrong on both these things, but I think it's more about the fact that Gonzaga already has a lot of talented players on the roster, and they're very picky with the types of players that they look for, and the few players that they have found who NID'd who they think fit that mold have picked somewhere else. Doesn't mean they won't keep trying. Doesn't mean they won't find guys who do end up fitting and coming into the program very well. They just haven't found them yet. Next question comes from Goldbloom underscore Matt on Twitter, who says, What petition do I need to sign to help bring back GU versus Washington State games? Or are we done scheduling teams that aren't perennial top 25 or complete cakewalks? No disrespect to Tarleton State, Merrimack, and Northwest State. Yeah, it's an important caveat since this cakewalk team in Tarleton State played in Gonzaga within 10 for the entire game and beat some other really good teams. I also... I, I'm not sure if this question was meant to sound as derisively as it maybe came across, but this is how all top 10 teams schedule. <laughs> Gonzaga's not unique in this regard. They schedule a lot of really high profile games, they play in high profile Thanksgiving, you know, uh, feast week tournaments. And they play a few other like one off really big games. And then the rest of their game is kind of a cakewalk. This is why those mid level programs, uh, programs like BYU, like St. Mary's, like Gonzaga was until very recently, like, and then the mid level Power Five programs like Washington State, like Utah, you know, like USF, which is not a Power Five school, but like those kind of like good but not super elite programs, they really struggle to schedule non conference games because a win. For, for a team like Gonzaga, for a team like Kentucky or Duke or whomever, a win doesn't move the needle all that much. Beating Washington State doesn't help Gonzaga, but losing to Washington State sure as heck does. So that's why these programs don't play those games, and Gonzaga has kind of elevated to that program. Would I like them to see, to see them play Washington State? Yes. Obviously, yes. Especially now with Kyle Smith there, uh, the fact that Washington State just lost two or three of their best players to the transfer portal in a matter of days... Makes me think that they're not going—like, last year may have been the peak for Washington State, uh, and they were very good. They won a bunch of games in the NIT, but they didn't make the NCAA tournament. So for Gonzaga, you'd have to answer the question of why. like why Outside of the, the regional rivalry and, and reasons that I agree would be fun to have this game back, That us thinking it's fun is not a good enough reason for Gonzaga to put this game back on the calendar. It's just not helping them all that much. Maybe they'll bring it back someday, but I I understand why they're not. And I think that their scheduling is not that abnormal compared to what a lot of other really high-profile programs do. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter, who says, which Zag is more likely to take a larger jump in year two, Hunter or Nolan? Going off of that, we've seen guards like Jaden Ivey and John Morant take a huge second-year leap and catapult themselves to be top picks. Do you see Hunter or Nolan accomplishing this feat? So I think... Both of them are going to take jumps. I think that's reasonable to assume based on the fact that they've, you know, learned from Nemhard and Bolton last year. Uh, they played, you know, and especially in Salz's case, they played better down the stretch, uh, and they're just stepping into much bigger roles. So I think that yes, they're both going to be better basketball players this upcoming season and contribute more. I think specifically in terms of the Ivy Ja Morant jump. That's far more likely to be Hunter Salas. Hunter Salas has more potential to be like a superstar basketball player than I think Nolan Hickman does. Uh, he's super athletic, his defensive instincts are elite. Uh, he just needs to to be more of a playmaker and and more of a consistent outside shooter. Those are things that I think are somewhat easier to learn and develop. Becoming a good playmaker is hard. And Salas, main, I, I think his best playmaking is going to happen in the NBA because he's not going to be asked to do that as much at Gonzaga. But I think that if he just develops into an outside shot, has more of a mid-range game, uh, has got a little bit more body control when going to the rim, I think if those things happen next year and he's playing 28 minutes per night, he's going to be really, really good. And he's going. I think that if he pops a little bit more, if that happens, and also he's like a knockdown three point shooter and uh, is a better playmaker, has more of that kind of Suggs game to him, then I think you're talking about a guy who, yeah, he could be a lottery pick. Like it's very reasonable to me that Hunter Salas plays well enough next season to be a lottery pick. Hickman, I think, has is very safe, and I think it's very, very likely that he's going to be a really, really good point guard for Gonzaga next year. But I just see him—he's he's so similar to me in a lot of ways to Andrew Nampard that I see him having more of a trajectory like that. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that he's not going to be in the NBA after this season. He, he very well could, but I think he's. I, I don't think he's going to pop in the way that he's like a. Oh man, that's a top ten pick, top five borderline pick. Whereas that may be a stretch for Salas too, but it's a lot more likely that he ends up in that kind of bucket. Whereas Hickman might be like a. Hey, this guy's really solid and really good, and if he does declare, somebody's probably going to take a shot on him in the second round, but not necessarily going to like, explode to that level of, like, hype and, uh, and everything around him. Next question comes from a second one from Goldbloom underscore Matt. Who is your all-time Zags hoop fest team? I think I answer this question differently every time that I get it, uh, but I think this is the same question that I offered last time when this was brought up, uh, which is Brandon Clark, Adam Morrison, and Jalen Suggs. If we're getting a bench player, I'm taking Rui off the bench. This team has defense. With Clark and Suggs, this team has shooting. With Adam Morrison, that's kind of it. Suggs and Clark are not great outside shooters, but... Uh, anybody who's played HoopFest, if you try to live and die by the three, you're probably going to lose. <laughs> you should focus on playing good defense and getting to the rim, and a team with Clark and Suggs on it is going to do that. Plus, you got somebody who's going to space the floor a little bit in Adam Morrison. Uh, Rui off the bench gives you a little bit of playmaking. He gives you a really good mid-range game. Uh, again, you're still kind of weak defensively on the, on the wing, but Suggs and Clark is enough for me that I think... That would work out just fine. Honorable mentions, Kelly Linick, DeMontis Sabonis, Stephen Gray, I think is probably not a player who gets discussed enough when talking about Gonzaga greats. uh, And his ability to shoot and play good defense would make him a really nice hoop fest player. Uh, And then Nigel Williams-Goss would be my other point guard option for his defense, playmaking, post-up ability as a point guard, all of that stuff. Final question of the segment from Jacob Quarter 2. Which zag would you say was the best dunker of all time? This is probably going to be a longer conversation, perhaps a podcast with a guest who's watched a lot of Gonzaga games, and we will discuss this topic. Uh, A couple names that come to mind, Ira Brown is the first name that always comes to mind. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal dunker. Didn't play all that much when he was at Gonzaga, but brought the absolute house down when he did. Also, I want to give a shout out to my guy, Guy Landry, Eddy who was also not a particularly good Gonzaga basketball player, but had some monster dunks uh, when he had the opportunity to. Uh, Casey Calvary was a great in-game dunker. Rony Turioff was a great in-game dunker. They weren't super flashy with their dunks necessarily. Micah Downs, uh, Jeremy Pargo. I think Pargo is probably the best in terms of like a player who played a lot, like was a starter and a really good player, uh, who also showed off the ability to dunk in games and just like recreationally. So Pargo, I think, is probably the answer, but it's more fun for me to talk about Ira Brown and Landry Eddie when we talk about Dunkers because they didn't do a whole lot else, but that's something that they did really, really well. All right, two segments. Now I'm going to come back. In the third segment, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions. Before we do that, though, I want to tell you all about Online. The 2022 NCAA tournament is in the books with a win secured by Bill Self and the Jayhawks of Kansas. While the Zags unfortunately fell short of the game's pinnacle week, that does not mean fans cannot remain in on the action. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information needs, Including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Heck, they even have lines on a fight between Will Smith and Chris Rock, should you be so inclined. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment three. Still any patents, still. Locked on Zags, still answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. To start off the week for Mailbag Monday, this next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, I would love the Zags basketball program to offer a fantasy camp. Roll with me on this. Retired local and players in their offseason could coach and teach skills. I would rebound like a monster for Rob Socrate or drop dimes for Courtney Vandersloot. Yeah, so uh, a lot of former players do have camps similar to this, not fantasy camps necessarily. They're for, you know, little kids. I know Ben Gregg was doing a camp, uh, this, I believe, this weekend, as I'm recording this on Sunday night. I believe he did his camp on Saturday in Portland. I think Matthew Lang was in attendance there. Uh, Dan Dickow does a ton of camps in, in the Spokane area. Um, but for something for, like, a fantasy camp type thing, like for you know Gonzaga alumni boosters friends whatever to go and like just play hoops with with celebrities celebrity zags no that doesn't really exist i would be surprised if a lot of players were particularly interested in doing this i think they're more likely to do it uh, for like youth in the Spokane area maybe not as interested in doing it for uh non-youth area people in the Spokane area would it be fun absolutely would people go yes would it raise a lot of money if they were doing it for like a charity yes absolutely but i'd be hard pressed to get uh, a, a list of super willing Gonzaga alumni to, to be to want to participate in this. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter Two, who says, "Last week you asked us for our memories of the Zags. What is yours?" So, I shared on Thursday's episode. Uh, I'm going to start a new segment. I think it's going to be on Thursdays for now. I'm still ironing out some of the details on how I want this to shake out, but effectively, it's an opportunity for fans who listen to the podcast to share their stories of interactions they've had with other Zags, whether it's former players, coaches, current players or coaches, whether it's just other Gonzaga alumni that they've met in, in some capacity, whatever it may be. I'm keeping it intentionally very open-ended uh, for to kind of allow for more people to kind of share their thoughts, their feelings, their stories, whatever it may be. Uh, so I shared on Thursday a story of uh, meeting Stephen Gray and Marquise Carter when I was a sophomore at Gonzaga because they were sitting outside of my tent during Tent City to offer me a pizza uh, you can listen to the full story on that Thursday episode. Uh, so I'll share another one here, a really very, very quick story when I was having lunch uh, at Peter Pit uh, on Gonzaga's campus. I I must have been my freshman season uh, because Will Foster was there and he was a senior my freshman year, uh, seven foot five backup center for the Zags. And I was having lunch with my four foot 11 friend. Uh, who was uh, a dancer on the, uh, on the Gonzaga Dance Squad, and she ran up and just stood next to him while he was throwing away his stuff just so we could see how hilarious it looked to see her stand next to him. And sure enough, it was hilarious. <laughs> I don't know if he was aware of what was happening at the time. We all assumed, oh, no, he didn't notice. I'm thinking back on it now, and this probably, A, happened to him all of the freaking time, and B, he almost certainly noticed some random uh, very small freshman girl running up and standing next to him and looking at us. Uh, I'm I'm guessing he probably noticed that, uh, but he was far too polite to say anything. So I have plenty of other stories. Most of them are not uh, necessarily super appropriate, so I will not share a lot of them. Uh, But I will probably share more as I think of them uh, as this segment continues because I think it's fun to kind of uh, have the opportunity to hear other people's stories from either when they were at Gonzaga or just other stories uh, of interacting with with players and coaches and alumni uh, because we're all a big family. And I think that's what makes it so fun. Couple more questions. This one comes from Christian. He says the Zags, this is about the baseball team, the Zags are not falling for the long ball story. This team puts the ball in play batting 281 and under 5% of their hits are home runs. And with pitching that allows opponents only a 248 average, this is a formula for consistent success. Looking forward to the Monday-Tuesday two-game series with Oregon State. Thoughts in a preview. Uh, so I'm not one of those home runs are bad type people. Um, I don't think that the Zags are succeeding because they're hitting less than 5% of their hits as home runs. Tennessee is the number one team in the country. Tennessee also leads the country in home runs. I just, I don't buy into that being the thing. Uh, college baseball is dramatically different from Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball obviously has tons and tons and tons of home runs. Uh, college baseball just doesn't, In like in general. Gonzaga is not trying to not hit home runs. They just don't hit runs very many of them. Most college baseball teams don't hit a lot of home runs. It's The guys are not as big and strong as the guys in the major leagues. So I don't really subscribe to that. Gonzaga's good because their pitching is very, very good. Uh, and because, as you said, they do put the ball in play. But the, these super high home runs, super high strikeout rates just don't really exist in college baseball the way that they do in the major leagues. Going forward, thoughts on the Oregon State season, or the Oregon State games? Yeah, I, I kind of mentioned this before, but I, I really think it's important to note when talking about weekday games. So Gonzaga's, you could make a very strong argument, the Gonzaga's three best players, Gabriel Hughes, Tristan Vreeling, and Owen Wilde, none of them are going to play against Oregon State. None of them, because they're pitchers, and they pitched on Friday, they pitched on Saturday, they pitched on Sunday. They're not going to play against Oregon State. State. Likewise, Oregon State's three starting pitchers from Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they're not going to play either. Baseball is so different from basketball, and I know a lot of people who listen are obviously diehard basketball fans, so there's not really a direct comparison straight across, but like, you are playing two games against the number three team in the country, and both teams are down significant parts of their team. They're opting not to play them, so it's it makes the results a little bit. You got to take them with a grain of salt. If Gonzaga blows the doors off of Oregon State in both these games, I'm not saying oh that doesn't really matter. That's not that's not what I'm saying. It does matter and it is important and it would be very awesome if they were to do that. It would help them in the rankings, all of that. But it is. It's more impactful to win a Friday game than it is to win a Monday game. I think that's a really significant point and, and aspect of these games. Now, both teams are going to go into it with their same starting lineups. Their same hitters, you know, most likely are going to be playing in both these games. Uh, and so it, it, it's still going to be a similar dogfight between two of the, you know, the two of the 15 best teams in the country, two of the best teams on the West Coast. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I was unfortunately planning to go. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to make it work. Uh, to either game unfortunately but I will be tuned in and I will be watching uh, as best I can to, to kind of see how these two games go but I think in terms of a preview it's really hard to, to look at this game the same way as a weekday, weekend series because of the lack of pitching that's going to happen uh, on both sides final question of the show in the spirit of Easter comes from Caleb Janowski at Caleb Janowski on Twitter who says which zag past or present would make the best Easter bunny so I'm going to say my, my answer which is Drew Timmy. I think you gotta go Drew Timmy. He's so charismatic. He's so goofy. He seems like he would be so willing to wear the Easter bunny costume. Uh, but there's some other great answers. Robert Sacre would be awesome. We can talk to him on the Sack and Jack podcast. Ask. If he wants to dress up like the Easter Bunny sometime, I'm sure he has done it or is willing to do it. Uh, Shemek Karnowski would be hilarious. A Gigantic Polish Easter Bunny would be a very, very fun sight to see. He would absolutely love it uh, based on his personality from what I know about him. There are tons of other answers. Roni Turioff, I think, would be fantastic as well. Uh, I would love to hear yours. If you think that there's a zag out there that I haven't named in this podcast that you think would be a dynamite Easter Bunny, absolutely let me know. You can find me on Twitter. At Score, And that that's going to do it. That's going to do it for today. We had a lot of fun stuff coming your way this week. Obviously, we've got some more season and review episodes, so check those out as well. great way to get a good sense of how the entire season went player by player right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen every day. Now's a great time to make your second listen, the Locked On NBA Draft podcast. With the college basketball season wrapping up, give Raphael Barlow and a flurry of guests a listen as they prepare for the NBA draft. Hear thoughts on Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, and the rest of the NBA's future stars on Locked On NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!